five of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about The Jungle Book on your But You Don't Need to Use the Claw When You Pick a Pair of the Big Paw Paw podcast. I'm Mandy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. So people who listen to our other podcast can probably pick up, this is the week I was ill. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So if you've listened to me talking about movies like five weeks ago, or Blancmange like four weeks ago, this was when we recorded The Jungle Book. Yes. (laughs) But it's fine. It's totally fine because Mm. you love talking about movies. I do. I do. And I do love my Disney movies. So this is a fun one. The Jungle Book, so we're we're cracking on. This is not quite the second inflection for Disney, but it is a a big step in in the development of their films. Um, How come you never watched The Jungle Book? So I I talked to my mom about this because I remember being a huge fan of Disney growing up, but there's a lot of classic Disney that I haven't seen. Um, if you're one of our patrons, then you saw that huge list that we put in the, the poll to determine which ones we were going to do. And it turns out it's because as a small child, I was just way more into books than movies. And so I had this full set of Disney storybooks that were, I mean, the characters were all drawn exactly the way they are in the, the animated movies. Mm, and that's okay. why I know the stories and I know the characters, but I've never actually seen the movies. Like, I remember being absolutely in love with Aurora and Sleeping Beauty and, like, the fairies. But I've never actually seen that movie. My only experience is through that storybook. Oh, okay. It's it's really strange, I think. I had the Star Wars storybooks, and that was my first experience with Star Wars. Aww. <laughs> Which is why I prefer it as a book series. That's a different conversation. Okay, you were way more into books, because we're all nerds here, let's admit it. Um... Did you ever read The Jungle Book? I feel like I had to have, but honestly, I'm not sure because watching watching this last night was mostly unfamiliar to me. Like I I knew the characters and I knew the character names, but I didn't actually know what was going to happen. Okay. So maybe not? Okay. Have you ever read Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book? No. The original? No. Okay. 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 So, The Jungle Book is Disney's 19th animated feature film. Released in 1967, it is an adaptation of Rudyard Kipling's book of the same name. It was the last film produced by Walt Disney as he died during production in 1966. Originally, Bill Peet was given the green light to write the story when he suggested The Jungle Book, but his version stuck too closely to the darker undertones of the book. Walt Disney felt it was too dark for a family-friendly film, but Peet refused to change his story and ultimately left Disney Studios in 1964. Larry Clemens became the new writer, but Walt Disney's personal touch was felt throughout the entire production as he would often act out the roles in story meetings and helped come up with many of the personalities and gags that were used. With a budget of $4 million, The Jungle Book earned nearly $24 million worldwide and became the most successful animated film released during its initial run. It was re-released in theaters three times in North America in 1978, 1984, and 1990. Its total lifetime gross in the U.S. and Canada is $141 million, making it the 33rd highest grossing film of all time in the U.S. and Canada when adjusted for inflation. Okay, so... A couple of years ago, this was one of the, the films they've done as a live-action version now. Yes. Um, directed by Iron Man director John Favreau. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that version at all? I've not. Okay. I want to see okay. it now that I've seen this one. Right. We'll, we'll dig a bit into that a bit later on, I think. Okay. 
So I have two versions of a synopsis of this movie for you. Okay. One is the official synopsis that I stole from Google. And then there's mine. Right. <laughs> so officially, uh, Mowgli, an abandoned child raised by wolves, has his peaceful existence threatened by the return of the man-eating tiger Shere Khan. Facing certain death, Mowgli must overcome his reluctance to leave his wolf family and return to the man village. But he is not alone on his quest. Aided by Bagheera the panther and later by the carefree bear Baloo, he braves the jungle's many perils. Y'all, that is not what this movie is about. Well, that gives a lot of agency to Mowgli, a character who has no agency. Exactly. Yeah. So here's my version. With the return of the man-eating tiger Shere Khan, the animals of the jungle abandon Mowgli to save their own skins. Khan! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely, 100%. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Although the way you say that, I'm picturing, like, William Shatner facing off against Cher. Cher (laughs) Cher Khan! (laughs) How do you say it? Sheer. Sheer? I don't know which is right, but Sheer is the village that... Oh, what's her name? Kate Blanchett? Not Kate Blanchett. In the holiday. Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. Um, the village that she lives in that Cameron Diaz goes to stay in, that's Sheer. Oh, okay. And that's the village I got married in. I'm pretty sure that in the Jungle Book it was Sher Khan. Okay. I could be wrong, but I'm also largely relying on Baloo's pronunciation, and Baloo was voiced by a southern man. (laughs) So, you know, we hear what we're familiar with. (laughs) Baloo's an arse. He probably says it wrong just to wind Khan up. Possibly. Possibly. I don't know. I feel like... Madeline (laughs) Khan! Oh, dear. Yeah, this is the third Khan that we've had on the movie. I mean, on the show. Mm-hmm. No, fourth, we've had James Khan. You (laughs) are absolutely right. (laughs) Maybe we should just change the name of the podcast to The Khan Show. Pop Khan-ly devote, not, no, that's the word. (laughs) Khan culturally devote, no. (laughs) All right. Anyway. (laughs) So how did you watch this movie? There are a lot of Disney films available on Sky Cinema, and there's a few available elsewhere. This ain't one of them. Um, I could have rented no in fact I couldn't have rented it I think I could have bought it on Sky Store or Amazon but at the moment there's also a sale of Disney DVDs going on uh, in various places Amazon could have sent me the DVD in 5 to 8 weeks thanks Amazon um, but the local supermarket also had uh, 6.99 each or 2 for £12 so I bought this and Coco nice I haven't seen Coco yet either no not yet I am looking forward to seeing that good How did you watch it? So when we decided to do a month of Disney movies, I was concerned about finding all of them, especially since we are reaching way back into the vault for these. And Disney has been notorious for locking movies away and you just can't access them anymore. And shockingly enough, out of the four that we are doing, this one is the only one that I could not find digitally at all. I even found Snow White streaming on Amazon. Mm. But The Jungle Book? Absolutely not. Now, if you go to the Disney store for movies where you can actually like purchase directly from Disney, they have a link to buy it digitally for Amazon. And if you click on it, it takes you to the Amazon page for it, but it says this title is unavailable. Oh, interesting. So the 
only way to watch this movie is to actually physically get a copy. Right. Yeah. It's just really bizarre, especially since Snow White is available. Like, I thought that would be the one I couldn't find. Yeah. I wonder if they did a big push with it when the new, the remake came out and then came out on home media. So they're, they're, they do still do that thing of keeping things from being permanently available everywhere. Mm-hmm. They sort of cycle it a bit. I mean, I mean, less so than they did in the, like, 2000s. Right. Um, they've gotten much better at just having stuff available now. But, oh, Disney. No, Disney. So this was the last film that um, Disney worked on before he passed away. There is a, a joke about this is the the film worked on by the nine old men, or nine oh. grand men. I can't, I can't remember the phrase of it. But basically some of the greatest animators Disney ever had worked on this film. Mm-hmm. So it, it has a significant cast and a significant uh, group of production, the, the production team working on it. Do you have any awareness of any of them? By and large, no. Um, okay. I did recognize the name of the Sherman brothers who did the music because they did the music for Mary Poppins. Okay. I did not recognize any of the other names listed at all and um, was surprised to discover when Ka started talking that he sounded strikingly like Winnie the Pooh. And it turns out mm. because the same guy did the voices. Right. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, no. Okay. And that's completely fair because um, animation people go in and out of different things. So. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's only had you watched lots of them, and as we've just discussed, you have not watched lots of them. I have not. Um, it, it was nice, however, to see the animators got top billing, not the cast, for this. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, 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 and exactly they were, you know, the big part of this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty great. I've already asked you about your experience of similar material. Did, did you have any expectations going into this from your, your knowledge of the Jungle Book and, and some of the characters? I thought Shere Khan was going to be much more ferocious than he was. Okay. And I I thought that Baloo was a much larger character. I think I expected Baloo to be the narrator slash Bagheera character. Okay. Like to have that level of ownership in the story. Because Baloo mm. is the famous one. Baloo is the mm. one who was in Tales... Tel- Tailspin, which is the show that I grew up watching on the Disney Channel. Right. You know? Okay. Um, and so that was my expectation. So I didn't really know what I was getting out of this one, which feels so weird to say because it's the Jungle Book and everybody knows the Jungle Book. But yeah, I, I didn't know. I legitimately did not know that this movie was about the animals trying to take Mowgli back to the man village. Right. Okay. Um, and just a quick point on experience of similar material. Did you do any scouting girl guiding growing up was that your thing i was a girl scout for like a minute okay over here it's heavily based on stuff in the jungle book with names of people we'll, okay. we'll mention that in a minute but uh i just wondered if you knew them from that so the jungle book uh did you enjoy the jungle book i did i didn't love it but i thought it was okay. nice and okay. that stupid dang song has been stuck in my head for days like the bare necessities was stuck in my head before I watched it just because I okay. knew I was going to watch the jungle book. So for like three days beforehand, I was singing the bare necessities, but I only knew the two lines, the one with the words, the bare necessities. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so okay. yeah. It, it's generally regarded as one of the classics. Mm-hmm. And this was a very, very important film for Disney as a company. They, they last film or two before this had not done very well. They were trying a couple of slightly different things with this and, and intending for this to be a big thing for them. And, and it paid off. 
as other points have paid off for them. And, and it is regarded both as a classic and an important film in their history. C- can you see why it's so highly regarded? It, 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 it sounds like it didn't grab you enough to do that for you. Well, I think a lot of that, though, is coming from a place where I'm so accustomed to much more sophisticated animation that it's hard to go backwards and kind of think about it through completely fresh eyes. I did feel a lot of nostalgia when I was watching it because of the way they Mm. did the sound effects and the animation was just very similar to a lot of cartoons that I did watch growing up. Okay. But that means I'm very familiar with the style, and so to me it's not groundbreaking. Okay. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So can can you see why this is highly regarded? Can you can you look at this with any sort of dispassionate thing and go, okay, but I can see why children liked it so much and why it had such an impact? Well, I mean, I think kids probably liked it so much because it had animals doing silly things. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, and I think, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think prior to this, Gosh, I should have looked at the list of, of movies prior to this. I know immediately before this was The Sword in the Stone, which I haven't seen. But mm-hmm. had they done an animated film that featured animal characters quite this heavily as main characters? Yeah, a little bit. So Sword in the Stone has some animal creatures and things going on with it um, and was supported by some Winnie the Pooh short films. But then before that is 101 Dalmatians. Um, and then a couple before that is Lady and the Tramp. Okay. And even a couple before that, Alice in Wonderland. So, yes, they had, and, and animals have always played a part of Disney films. But in terms of this, with them being such major characters, I'm not sure because they are much more um, anthropomorphized in this and much more human mm-hmm. acting and feeling with some of their thing. Whereas the joke in the other ones is, isn't it funny they're acting like cats but talking like people? Right. Something like that. Okay. I think that might have had something to do with it. Okay. I, I, I think you're very, you're very much right there. Um, I, I feel like, and not being a cartoon historian, I'm not sure I can really speak to this, but this is a film that does speak to a slightly younger market, perhaps, than some of the others. There, I mean, there is no real narrative here, particularly. The right. character does not really have agency. Most of the characters do not have agency. It is very easy to follow. And it has some very nice songs, and it's very pretty, and mm-hmm. it's got lots of comedy, which Kids may like. or may not work depending on your, you know, <laughs> how, how far it goes for you. But I think this is uh, of a lot of Disney, even these days. This is one of the most accessible. It does not ask very much, but you could enjoy this as a four or five year old. You could enjoy this as a at least tween tween age, if not teenage. I enjoyed it as thirty five year old, so. <laughs> yeah. And you also like the animals doing silly things. And I stuff. did. I did. I think, um, and, and based on what I was reading online, and even from some folks who commented on Twitter, this soundtrack is widely regarded as one of the best Disney soundtracks. So I think the music itself had a lot to do with it as well. Yeah, I find that interesting because there are two great songs in here. And, and, you know, very well earned that they are incredibly famous songs. The Bare Necessities and I Want to Be Like You. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, I mean, maybe Trust in Me, but there's no other song that I can think of from this. Like, oh, yeah, that's a really good song. That's really good. I really like the Elephant's March, but not the singing part. I just liked the music behind it. Okay. And I can't remember any other songs. I, I Legitimately, I mean, I'm very ill, but I cannot remember any other any other songs during this. Well, maybe those songs are enough to carry it. Mm. I mean, who doesn't oh, know yeah. the bare necessities? Well, Exactly. 
It is it is very good at school discos and even grown up discos, like you say. Yeah, no, there is also the Vulture song, of course. Right. I, I you said Vulture, disco, yeah. and I immediately thought Beatles, which I don't know why, because that's not an association. But I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, the Vultures did that song that was really weird in four part harmony. Yeah. Okay. So so the the Vultures, the four Vultures who have Liverpudlian accents and sort of mop hairdos. Did you notice how they were styled? Yes. It was okay. very Even obvious. Whilst watching. Like, yes. I think I was in my notes. I don't call it out. The only thing I put in my notes is why does that vulture have blonde hair? Right. But I thought that they seemed Beatles esque, but I knew they didn't sound like the Beatles. And so I wasn't sure if I was just making that up. And so I didn't want to put it in writing that that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out that was the intent. Yeah. And, and they had written this song in, in a Beatles style and then changed it into a four-part barbershop quartet harmony thing. Mm-hmm. And you, But you can still hear, certainly it, it's reminiscent of some of the early Beatles tracks. You can really hear what they're, they're aping at that point. But it's, it's a shame they didn't step up to do it. It would have been quite fun. It would have lent an air of sort of more interest mm-hmm. uh, to a different, to, to the younger generation. I think I probably would have enjoyed the Vultures more if the Beatles had actually voiced them. Mm. I mean, I didn't dislike them, but they were just kind of boring. Yeah, that's fair. The the Vultures in the remake, John Favreau asked Paul McCartney and Ringo uh, Starr if they would come along and do the voices this time, and they still said no, which is a <laughs> real shame. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I wonder what the reason was this time, because the first time the reasoning was they didn't want to do animation. Yeah, I did not read any further. I just read that he had tried and hadn't been able to. I think he had made the comment of, yes, we asked them, but they weren't able to. Uh, Yeah, apparently John Lennon was the one who made the decision, and it was because he didn't want to do an animated movie. Yeah, and then a couple of years later, Yellow Submarine comes out. Oh, hurrah. Yep. (laughs) The the other thing with this is the quality of the animation. Mm -hmm. With... Snow White, they developed a couple of techniques that, that revolutionized animation and, and they went on to use for a number of films, um, particularly the rotoscoping and the, the layered zooming shots that they did, um, which we'll address when we come to Snow White. Um, for the last couple of films before this, they've been experimenting with a new technique, with, with a new bit of technology that had come out called the Xerox. Oh. Um, so rather than having your main animator drawing the cell, drawing what, what is going to happen, and then uh, so it's a, you know, almost a several seconds worth of, of animation needs to be replicated between them. You would then have people tracing that to recolor it and, and touch it up and make it perfect and all this. And, and there's talk of, I think Cinderella, or one of the early films, had 500 tracers working on the different cells. Wow. Um, instead of tracing, they Xeroxed it. Uh-huh. Mm. But what that meant is you couldn't polish at the same time every single pencil stroke and every single thing element that you did to it was then on the Xerox, on the copy that you made. Mm-hmm. Which is what, for me, lends the, the animation a lot of quality. I, I love that you can see some of these pencil strokes, that there's moments of it that are a bit rough because it almost adds an, an element of fluidity to the animals. That the, These pencil strokes, uh, strokes come in and go and you can see aspects of the movement that the, the animators tried to put in that then change as the animal does actually animate. Um, I think more than anything else, for me, it comes out with the elephants 
Um, and when they move, you can sort of see the wrinkling of their skin with all these huge amounts of, of uh, pencil strokes going across them. Mm-hmm. Did, did you notice any of that? You said it was different from obviously what we're seeing now with films like Inside Out and Coco. How did the animation come across to you? What was your reaction to it? Um, I didn't notice the level of detail that you're talking about. I did notice the carbon copies, right. which I thought was brilliant, honestly, because the elephants standing there, they're all exactly the same, but they changed the colors. They added tusks to one, mm. but it was they were identical. Um, they did that with some of the monkeys. They did that, I mean, kind of across the board. Anytime there was more than one thing, they generally did a copy, but they did it in such a way that they still changed it a little bit yeah and i thought that i mean i felt like that was a sign of technology progressing mm. and okay. so i didn't it didn't take anything away from me good and and it shouldn't do um it, it is the the continuing thing of trying to uh save money mm-hmm in the production of these things so where they invested huge amounts to get the films out originally and, and make them really good they're now trying to go okay but we we're not actually getting a return on investment anymore because we're making these bigger and bigger films and we have to produce them to higher quality mm-hmm. what can we use the technology for um to actually reduce some of those costs and and, and xerox is it xerography as it's called is the sort of most sensible way of doing it mm-hmm some of this we will return to in future films as we see other things they do to try and save money on, on what they've produced. Right. Um, I was going to mention, and, and I can wait to bring it up until next week if you want me to, but they reused some storyboards for Robin Hood from The Jungle Book. Yeah, absolutely. And and now having seen The Jungle Book, it will be really interesting hearing your reaction when you see it in uh, in Robin Hood. Honestly, I might not even notice it. Just oh, because you're notice it's so hard. <laughs> I don't know, because my brain is like, well, okay, but that's a fox, and there wasn't a fox in the Jungle Book, so it can't be the same. Okay. Like, that's legitimately how I think when I'm not trying to analyze and scrutinize it. And when it's my first watch of something, I'm mm. not doing that level of scrutiny. Although I will be looking for it, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to get yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so one of the things we're looking for in Robin Hood is can you notice any anything that's uh, copied over from this film? Yeah. Okay. We've touched on the story. Shall we discuss the narrative, the, the intense, deep story plot elements of the jungle? <laughs> so I can't even get through without laughing. Oh, yeah, there's no, absolutely no story here. Um, it, it's a little ridiculous. Yes. I, I mean, I mean, not only is there no, no story, there's only one woman who gets to talk, and even that's problematic at the end, so... Oh, this is all about the British Raj in India and colonialism. and Yeah, I honestly, I, I'm trying to take it as face value as possible as this is a story that was intended for children. Mm. You know, I, I have no doubt that the source material was completely problematic and completely full of, you know, like you're saying, colonialism. It had elements of racism in it, but... Mm. This is a 78-minute-long movie about talking animals for children. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to look at it in the best possible light and just kind mm. of ignore that other stuff. Because to me, that other stuff applies to something that this movie is not trying to be. Okay. And and maybe that's naive of me, but that's, that's no, how it, I want to enjoy my good. Disney. 
yeah, this is a product of its time entirely, and it's a very successful product of its time, and has gone on to continue to be successful. As you say, it's thirty third best earning film of all time. Yeah, it's I was surprised nice. at that. I actually I went to the list because the the Wikipedia article actually said thirty second, and I was like, it can't mm. be that. You know, it has to be much lower. It's like we've had Avengers and we've had Black Panther and Doctor Strange. You know, these movies that are massive. And I went and looked at the list, and it I mean, it had dropped down to thirty third. Wow, yeah. this is shocking. Black Panther has gone above it. Yes, Black Panther is above it. Which is interesting because this is narrated by Black Panther. <laughs> <laughs> ah, boom, boom. Oh, <laughs> yes. Um, did you say, I think Dark Knight was next on the list. I don't remember. I think it was the next most popular, which, yeah, fair. It's really interesting comparing this to the new one because the new one does fully update it and make it much better in a lot of ways. It's, it's not perfect. It does still have a few problems. Um but the the choice to leave is Mowgli's now. Oh, it is, that he would understands be nice. what's going on, and he says, "No, I I understand. I am putting you at danger, so I will leave." And and they go, "Yeah, that's probably fair." And Shere Khan actually comes in and sees him because there is a truce between all the animals, and this is only the first like ten fifteen minutes. So right, I'm spoiling huge amounts of it. Um, Shere Khan comes in because there is a truce between all the animals because there is such a huge drought on that the animals have to come to the feeding the the, the sort of water hole. Uh, without fear of being hunted. Mm-hmm. So whilst there was a truce on, Shere Khan cannot kill him. But as soon as the truce is off, Shere Khan is coming for him. Right. Yeah. That's... So he decides to go, and Bagheera goes to help him out, and he has adventures on the way. So it's like it, it suddenly starts making more sense. Mm-hmm. And and it's really strange how the the animated film almost feels like it's it it's trying to do a story of he's trying to figure out where he fits okay he can't hunt or run like a wolf so he doesn't fit with the wolves so then he goes and tries to be okay what if i was with the elephants can i be like the elephants what if i go and try and be like a bear what if i go and try and be like a uh, an ape but the story's not actually doing that it's just pushing him from moment to moment meeting different animals yeah that is exactly (laughs) what it's doing yeah and his his entire lack of agency, I think, is probably the one thing that bothered me the most. Nope, sorry, it's the second thing that bothered me the most. We'll talk about the okay. first one then a little bit. Um, just because I was so frustrated. You know, he had lived with the wolves for 10 years at this point. Mm, and yeah. they're just willing to let him go. I mean, I know his, you know, quote unquote dad did kind of, I won't say he fought for him, but he protested a little bit, you mm. know? And then they just like all let him go. And then, you know, as soon as Mowgli decides, figures out what's happening and he pushes back on Bagheera just a little bit, Bagheera's just like, fine, you go be on your own. You know, and every step of the way, it was about these animals saying that they're trying to help him somehow because they don't want Shere Khan to kill him. But it's not that because if it was, they wouldn't be so willing to abandon him. So it just repeatedly over and over again it frustrated me until we got to Baloo. Baloo right. was the only one who I felt like actually recognized what needed to happen and truly had affection for him. Yeah, and that absolutely works. The the meeting between the two of them, Baloo just being, Yeah, do whatever you want, just, you know, enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It, it's it's a very tropey thing, particularly putting him with someone like Bagheera who is fairly, you know, rule and status oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of the two cars in, in the Cars films who live next door to each other, the hippie and the military guy. Right. Um, <laughs> it, it is a fairly tropey combo, an odd couple thing. Um, but it does work and it's, it's very nice. And then, like you say, Baloo is uh, 
can see the benefit of the kid, and the kid can see the benefit of being with Balu because yeah, he's a kid. He just wants to enjoy his life. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then we finally get the introduction of Shere Khan. So we've been setting up all the way through. Oh, Shere Khan will kill you. Oh, he's a killer. He's a man killer. He hates man, man. He hates the red flower. <laughs> and then he finally rocks up. But you said it's 78 minutes. He rocks up after like 60 minutes. Right. It's a ridiculously late point in the film. Right. And then he's just there hunting and he overhears people. He has a silly scene with Khan, with Carr. And then there's a showdown at the end. It, it just, suddenly they, they almost remember, oh, we... We're supposed to have a plot and a villain to this, aren't we? <laughs> hey, what was that tiger's name? Yeah, let's draw him in. Yeah. Bob, can you draw tigers? Ah, I can give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And and honestly, when I was watching him, I felt like he was out of place on the screen. And, and mm. maybe that's just me, but it seemed like the way they colored him, like his orange was so much more bright and vibrant than any of the other colors on the screen and, mm. and maybe that's just the lighting of my television i i don't <laughs> know maybe i'm making it up but it just seemed weird mm. um, and I, I i can't say that i noticed it in that way if i had to explain it maybe they're doing that to make him stand out as right now the villain is here okay um, D- disney loves its colors for evil and they, they probably ruin the fact that tigers are not lime green or purple right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I wonder if that. Hmm. Actually, that's an interesting point. I wonder if that's why they did that because, like, this was a forest, a rainforest, and so there was a lot of green. But I noticed that most of it was fairly muted green. It wasn't a bright, vibrant green, and I wonder if that has to do with it because green is traditionally the color they use for evil, and they couldn't, like, they had to draw a distinction. Yeah. I don't know. I'm grasping at straws. Yeah, it, it is very much a lime green that we see for evil things. Mm. So yeah, so then they, they have a fight at the end, and he wins. I can't even remember how he wins in this. Oh, he lures him out onto the trunk? Onto the branch? Um. And he falls into a fire, maybe? No, he he just runs away. Does he just run away? He ties Baloo. T- no, no, it wasn't Baloo. It was ties, Mowgli, I think. He ties yeah, the yeah. branch to his tail, and then he freaks out and runs away. That was it, yes, I remember now. It's just, it's really good fun, but it's just so not memorable what happens. <laughs> and of um, course, as soon as the fire come, goes out, he's going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially he doesn't need to come back now because there is no man cub there anymore. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. After all of that, then he goes to the village. <laughs> so can we talk about the thing that bothers me the most about this movie? Yeah, let's let's get into it. Oh, my God. The girl. First of all, her name is The Girl. <laughs> The girl. First name, the. Last name, girl. Middle name, danger. (laughs) This girl is a child. Mm -hmm. Literally singing about her parents and what she's going to be when she grows up. This is the most sexualized female child I have ever seen in my life. I mean, we're talking like borderline Jessica Rabbit sexualization. Mm. Drove me crazy. Like, that is not okay. And even... Like, Baloo makes a comment of, oh, avoid that animal there, you know, nothing but trouble. Yes. Ah, <laughs> yeah, women. Put and, them in their place. And then, Disney. Exactly. <laughs> and then she dropped the water bucket. Oh, she did that on purpose, which obviously she did, which is problematic on its own. 
you know, like I have to trick him and use my sexy baddie eyes and my womanly wiles to get this child to come into the village. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. And, and and he's mesmerized. The first time he's ever seen a, a female, mm-hmm. um, he's instantly like, I will forget all of my history and these people that I'm with and just go after her. Done. Right. And he just shrugs his shoulders. He's yeah. like, eh, what can I do? And he walks in. Yeah. Girls be trouble. Boys be stupid. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I could have so done without that ending. Yeah. But like we talked about with uh, Hocus Pocus, it, you see this stuff and it's just problematic because it normalizes these attitudes for children. Mm-hmm. So they then take it on. Yeah. At such an early age. It's just such a, oh, oh, come on. Yeah. If I had watched this as a kid, I would have thought it was completely normal, if not even romantic. When a 10-year-old child should not be doing anything romantic, mm. you know? Oh, yeah, that's just frustrating. Um, that is the only thing that frustrated me um, between the girl and then the actual end of him just leaving, not even saying goodbye, just yeah. doing this shoulder shrug thing. Like, I kind of thought that was bullshit. Do you think it should end with him going back to the village? I think he should go back to the village, but he is so familiar with the jungle that that should not mean he never goes in the jungle and sees his friends again. Okay, so assuming that the ending has to be he returns to his own kind, how do you think the film should end? What would you change to make that better? I, so I would not have had a child being the one filling the water. I would have had an adult who would see this child and recognize that this child needs to be taken in. And then the adult can take care of him instead of like sexualizing them both in the relationship between them. And then I probably would have added on just a little bit of him explaining who he was, where he's been, and then like doing a flash forward where he's running around laughing with Baloo and then realizes he has to go home for dinner or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I I wanted a little bit more than what we got. Yes. And it's it's a shame because up until that point... Although there's not been no particular narrative or anything that we can enjoy in those terms, it's not done anything that you would go, it's a fault for doing that. Right. You know, it's a fairly simple film, but you don't have a problem watching it. Then you get to that point, you're like, oh, okay. I wish I turned it off when Sheikhan ran away. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because we needed Baloo to come back to life first. Or True. not actually be dead. Yeah. I was about five seconds away from like losing my shit when oh, I thought really? they killed Blue. And I was like, no, they can't have actually killed Blue because he's like the spinoff character. He's the one character in this that has gone on to do so many other things. Hmm. And it was like, they can't kill Blue. And then, of course, he wasn't dead. So. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, and they do play that very well with um, Bagheera not realizing he's come back to life and continuing the eulogy for him in a very nice way. <laughs> yeah. One of my biggest problems with this film is basically every comic turn in this is someone is not noticing something is going wrong or bad or someone's not doing what they should be doing. And then they notice and it's funny because they're in an awkward situation. So whether it's elephants walking into the back of each other, whether it's Bagheera being asleep and Car is taking Mowgli, um, whether it's Bagheera not knowing that he's um, dead and or he's actually alive and giving him a eulogy. Just all the way through this, the, the turn and the joke is, oh, he hasn't noticed, oh, now he has noticed and he has to recover. Yeah. 
If it was only once or twice, I wouldn't mind. But it must be like 12, 15 different times that happens during this film. Come on, get a better gag. Yeah, I, I feel like they thought if it's not broke, don't fix it. And because it worked so well the first time, they had to keep doing it to the yeah, point yeah. where they kept reusing the animation. Like, specifically, yeah. I'm thinking of Ka. Both yes. confrontations with Ka ended exactly the same. The same knot yeah. in the tail, the same weird, creepy knot slithering away because his coils are all messed up. Mm. Exactly the same, which I understand yeah. for. You know, early animation, saving time, that's wonderful. But mm-hmm. let's let's have a little bit of variety. Yeah, car having the, the knot in the tail is quite funny. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure it must be possible to happen, but I'm sure snakes must have some sort of self-defense mechanism against that happening. But yeah, the accordion thing. and Yeah, no, it was really funny the first time. Yeah. But the second time, just less so. Mm. So before we move into favorite moments can we talk about the songs for a minute okay is it just me or did the music of the jungle book heavily inspire the music in tarzan Uh, i don't think so but i can't remember any music in tarzan oh okay well then let's have a look maybe it's just me so like i i think like i was having in my head like i paused um hathi's march the the elephants march like i paused it a couple times just listening to not the words but listening to the melody the underlying melody and i kept thinking that is so familiar like i i've heard that before but i don't know where and as other like background bits were playing in this i kept getting notes of tarzan and so then i i had this melody in my head very similar to the elephants march that i would have sworn was played on a kazoo or a kazoo-ish instrument. And so then I started looking at the the Tarzan music and I came across the song called Trashing the Camp. And I think that's it. But maybe I am just drawing a comparison that's not actually there. And maybe I'm hearing something that's not there. But it just felt so spot on the nose. And for those two stories to be so similar, Mm. at least at the beginning. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the problems as well is... The story of Tarzan and the story of the Jungle Book are not too dissimilar anyway. Mm-hmm. That's what came out first. I think possibly the Jungle Book came first. And Tarzan is effectively, what if you did that but with a more grown-up person? First appeared in Tarzan of the Apes in 1912. Whereas the Jungle Book is based on... The, the Jungle, Jungle Book. Book. 1894. Okay, so the Jungle Book did come okay. first. Yes. But also the Jungle Book has a lot more about the jungle and the creatures of the jungle, whereas Tarzan is just about that character. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't know. Anyway. It just the, the musicality of it just seemed very, very similar. Mm. But I, I, I think I've, I've only seen Tarzan once, so I, I'm not sure I could... I See, I loved Tarzan. I loved okay. that soundtrack and everything, so I listened to it a lot in high school. Nice. Plus, Rosie O'Donnell was in it, and I really liked her <laughs> once upon a time. Is it Minnie Driver as the girl, as Jane? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anything with Minnie Driver in it. It's <laughs> going to be good. All right. So we have, you know, talked some good stuff. We've talked some bad stuff. Let's talk the really good stuff. So what <laughs> was your favorite thing or favorite things? We've not really mentioned him except for a bit at the end there. Car. 
is wonderful. I think he is an, a superb character. He is delightfully creepy. I mean, that Winnie the Pooh voice, <laughs> it genuinely works in a snake because you... I mean, he's a little bit the, the progenitor of the, the snake hissing as he talks and so on. Um, but also with that very seductive, very light, very nice voice and then having a nice song and just slowly, slowly wrapping himself around Mowgli and starting to strangle him and think about eating him. It's genuinely creepy. Yes. Particularly, I think, because as a kid, you might not know what's coming, but this is where you find out what snakes can do. Yeah. He was legitimately scarier than Shere Khan was. He did worse things to Mowgli than Shere Khan did. Yeah. And and when he and Shere Khan have their scene together, it comes across like he's smarter because he's the one who's got Mowgli at that point. Yes. And he's saying, well, there's nothing in here, there's nothing down here, and... He's, he's working out a way to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas Shikhan is just sort of bumbling around like, hey, have you seen that boy? I can smell him. I can't find him. Right. Because I'm a Brit. We're villainous. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I really like Kara in this. I think he's he's very, very well done. And and watching it, I think I'd remembered him as better than he is. Because he's only in that little bit at the beginning, a little bit at the end. And he's, like you say, defeated the same way both times. Um, Car is played in the in the remake, in the live-action one, by Scarlett Johansson, as John Favreau going, we need women in here. Oh, wow. <laughs> so let's at least, at least get the woman to be the snake. Okay. Um, which, you know, <laughs> Scarlett Johansson, uh, taking on people's roles. Like, yeah, role yeah. could have gone to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> but again, genuinely, because she's got a similar sort of voice, you know, it's pitched very much in the middle range, um, and she can speak very softly. It's just a lot scarier because snakes are genuinely scary. Oh, when yeah. you model a snake to look realistic and open its mouth and try to swallow a boy, it's quite, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely creepy. I 100% agree with that. And and hearing the voice of Winnie the Pooh come out of such a creepy character just, like, <laughs> yeah. ramped that up to 11. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I love Karen. This thing is wonderful. What stood out to you? What were your favorite things from it? Baloo. Everything yeah. about Baloo was just amazing. You mm. know, from calling Mowgli little britches to just immediately falling in love with him and wanting to take care of him. Being so, you know, just kind of lackadaisical about life, but still stepping up and being willing to sacrifice himself for Mowgli at the end. Like, Baloo was everything i loved him <laughs> loved him so much and it helps that he sounds like an old southern grandpa okay <laughs> because honestly he sounds a little bit like andy griffith right and yeah like it took me a little while to place it i think i was pretty close to the end when i i had the epiphany oh my gosh it's a southern actor playing this mm. um, because it, it didn't have quite the not the thick southern drawl that, that you hear me get on Southern Fried Pop Culture. Not quite right. that level, but the cadence and just the word choice for mm. some of it. it. And that's exactly what it was. I felt like a grandpa was trying to take care of him. And I, I loved nice. it. I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> and then the baby elephant. Okay. The baby elephant was just adorable. I mean, instead of saying military, he said Miratelli. And he was just cute. And he immediately wanted to be friends with Mowgli. And Mm -hmm. that's what got the elephants to try to look for him because he's friends with the little boy, little elephant boy. I don't know. He was just cute. And I like cute things. Interesting. 
Why is that interesting? I, I, I think I overlook the cuteness of the baby elephant because I completely agree with you. Yeah, it's very well done. It's quite funny, but because it's the same joke back and forth of them walking different ways, Mowgli doesn't listen for the orders to turn, so he ends up being pushed backwards, and then he ends up walking off when they turn and walk the other way. And Yeah. Okay, so that um, that's what you were focusing on. That's that's the bit that I'm just watching that going, oh, come on. Come on, give me, like, these characters are going to pay attention. They're in a jungle. You you pay attention when you're in a jungle, frankly. Yeah. There's blooming great big snakes around. <laughs> <laughs> and tigers. Yeah. Okay, mm. that's fair. But I'm just a sucker for but cute is, things. You're right. He is very cute. And it, 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 that's the sort of thing that makes the film very, very accessible. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Oh, I, I really want you to watch the remake now. Because okay. the way they deal with the elephants in that arm is very good. I really like what they do with the elephants. I really like what they do with um, Car and Shikan. Okay. Well, maybe mm. I'll find some time to watch that in the next couple of weeks and we can have some sort of bonus chat about it. Mm. Yeah, that's a Patreon thing. That'd be good. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to discuss about The Jungle Book? So there's actually one character we haven't really mentioned. We've not talked about King Louis. Now, that's the other famous song. I yes. Want to Be Like You is a very, very famous song from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've, you've not mentioned King Louis at all. You've not mentioned the song, really. Uh, what's his accent? Is that, is that not a sort of New, New Orleansian? I think it was supposed to be, yeah. Okay. Anyway, like very else? jazzy. Mm. I don't know. He wasn't super memorable for me. I just, okay. that, the song's not quite as catchy as The Bare Necessities. And his goal was to kidnap Mowgli until he got what he wanted. And so I automatically just don't like him. Right. Like, to me, he was yet another villain in the movie. Like, not I want to kill you level of villain, but still not really a good guy. Okay. So he just isn't really somebody that I want to pay attention to. Mm, okay. Because he is definitely better in the, in the remake because he's played by Christopher Walken. Oh, my God. I, I did not know that. Okay, I need to watch that now. And yes, he does have a song. In fact, I think he has two. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're gonna make that happen. <laughs> I am here for some and, Christopher Walken. And and the remake isn't the best. There are times it's it's a little meandering and does some of the same stuff more than once again. But um, because it actually in, invests a story in this, I think it takes all the good stuff and makes it even better. Good. Okay. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. And you can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. Pop Culture Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give, even $1 a month, it gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to check out the homepage, eloquentgushing.com, to find all our other shows and to sign up for our weekly newsletter of the upcoming news and announcements. And we'll be back next week with another episode where we'll talk about Disney's Robin Hood. Until next time, I'm Andy Kay. And ooby-doo, I want to be like you. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com.